Well, again, good morning. morning. I missed being with you guys last week, um, uh, but I was having a great time, have to admit. I was actually at a wedding in Mexico um, for uh, some of our church family members, uh, Lauren Corbet and Walker Clark got married and they, uh, they asked me if I would do the wedding. So I had the privilege and joy of traveling down to uh, Carmen, uh, what's it called? Playa de Carmen, yes, thank you. Obviously, I go there a lot. And, um, and so it was just an amazing weekend. We had so much fun. Uh, it was a beautiful wedding. The ceremony itself was just fantastic. I mean, it was on the beach, uh, you know, crystal clear water, sunsets, um, just absolutely like the dream wedding ceremony. Uh, and it was beautiful um, for all those reasons. It was also beautiful to me just because I love weddings. Weddings are always this beautiful picture of just the goodness of God, the gifts of God. Um, but also there's such a, a clear presentation and proclamation, a picture of the gospel. Uh, the bridegroom Jesus who comes for his bride, who comes and lays down his life, gives himself self-giving love in this committed covenant relationship. And that's what marriage is a picture of. And so it was, it was really amazing weekend. Um, it was really powerful and beautiful, um, but it was, it was also um, bittersweet. Um, so Walker uh, is uh, Lizzie's brother, for those of you who don't know, and Lizzie's uh, husband, Charlie, passed away about two months ago. And, uh, and so he was not there. And, um, you know, I left with this sense of just overwhelmed by the beauty and the joy of the occasion. And yet, at the same time, there was just this really powerful reminder that death had stolen something um, from that moment. And, you know, I think it's just important to, to remember, you know, that we are still a grieving community. Lizzie and the boys are still grieving. This past week was, would have been Charlie's 47th birthday. Um, and so um, it was just a, a reminder to me that even in the most beautiful and powerful uh, moments where God's goodness is so present, we live in a world where things are not as they should be. And I just think that's, that's so important. And we're, we're talking about Advent and Christmas. We're entering into this season where that really is kind of the focus of Advent, that the world is not as it should be. And it leaves you longing for something different, a world where there's not cancer, a world where you don't need ICUs, where there's no grief, where, as we just heard, where every tear will be wiped away. That day is what we long for. And I think what that leaves us with as followers of Jesus, it leaves us to wrestle with a question. And the question that we have to wrestle with is how do we live in that kind of world? How do we live as people who know Jesus has come? We celebrate that at Christmas. We know he has come, the savior has come, and yet things are not as they should be. We live in a world marred by suffering and pain and sin and death. We live in what some theologians call this kind of in-between time or the already not yet. We live in this place in history where Jesus has already come, uh, and that's what we'll celebrate with Christmas in just a few weeks, but we also live in this place where Jesus has not yet returned to consummate or to complete, to make whole the kingdom that he is ushering in. And so we live in this tension. We live as followers of Jesus who are citizens of the kingdom of God, of heaven, of light, and yet we live in the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
um, who was uh, eventually martyred for his faith and for um, basically his resistance to the Nazi party in Germany pre-World War II and during World War II. He, he faced this reality um, in a really uh, stark way. Uh, and it's interesting, he, his response to that was, uh, well, he did a lot of things, but one thing he did is he, he wrote this book called Life Together. And if you've ever read it, it's a, it's a really powerful picture of the witnessing community around Jesus in the world. But in it, he, he talks about this intentional community and this seminary that he founded uh, in Germany in this town called Finkenwald. And he talks about what life was like there. And he brought in all these young followers of Jesus and talked about what does it look like to live in this already not yet reality. And they were facing you know, the Nazi party, the Nazi regime. And so it was very, very intense. And one of his friends actually read the book and then he came to visit and he wanted to see the seminary and, and this intentional community. And even, even with all that was going on, his question was really, is, this seems a little extreme. This seems like you've kind of taken this to, to the nth degree. Is this all this really necessary? And the story goes that Bonhoeffer actually took uh, his friend up on a hill that overlooked the area. And on one side, you could look down and you could see the seminary in Finkenwald. And if you looked off in the distance, you could see a Nazi training camp, not too far away. And basically what Bonhoeffer said is he said, what's going on over here at the seminary has to be greater than what's going on over here at this Nazi training camp. This, he said, must be greater than this. And I, I, I think that for me captures the tension that we live in as followers of Jesus, as those who live between the incarnation of Christ and his return in glory. Because we as the church are called to be a witness, a witness that is greater than a destructive, disheartening darkness around us. Which means that our hunger, our longing for Jesus in our life has to be stronger. It must be greater than anything else in our life. That greater hunger for Jesus is what actually will fuel us to be demonstrations of his love and his mercy and his justice, but it will also make us resilient and faithful until Jesus returns. And that's what we're gonna talk about in this season of Advent uh, over the next few weeks about what does it mean to long for God in that way? In this already not yet, how do we long for, hunger for God? How do we cultivate that in our lives? And so, um, so this morning, what I wanna do is kind of set the table for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas. And I wanna start with a simple question of really what is Advent? Some of you may be new to this whole idea of Advent. It may be something you've practiced for a long time, but maybe not totally sure why we do what we do in the season of Advent. So just a little bit uh, of history. Advent is an ancient practice in the church. It can kind of be dated back to about the fourth century uh, in uh, church history. And it really comes from the Latin, which means uh, coming or arrival, because it celebrates three advents. Uh, so the first advent it celebrates is the incarnation of Jesus, which we celebrate uh, at Christmas, so the past. It also celebrates the presence of Jesus with us in the present. And then it celebrates and looks forward to Jesus' return when he will come back in glory to judge the world. So this future coming of Jesus, or what's sometimes called the second coming. And so while it's a season that really kind of leads us up to and prepares us for Christmas, as Ryan said a few minutes ago, it actually, the main focus of Advent is the second coming of Jesus. 
And so we're gonna focus on that over the next month. And Advent, because of that focus, it's a great gift to us as followers of Jesus. Why is it a great gift? It's a great gift because it's actually this counter-cultural call to life and mission as faithful witnesses of Jesus as we wait for his return when he will come and make things all, all new and he will set everything right. So it's our way of living out our calling to be faithful witnesses. Advent taps into that reality. And Advent, therefore, is a season of longing It's a season of hunger because it invites us to be honest, really honest about how broken our world really is, the darkness of the present, but yet to live in that moment with a confidence in the fierce love of God and his promise to deliver us and all of creation once and for all in eternity. And so while... um, while that is kind of the focus of, uh, of Advent in terms of themes, there's also a practice that has historically gone with Advent. It's really interesting. Throughout the history of Advent, the practice that uh, followers of Jesus have taken up is the practice of fasting. Um, and uh, usually when we think about fasting, we think of Lent. But actually, Advent is also a season of fasting. And we'll talk about why in just a few minutes. But I think just think about the lead up, the time that leads up to Christmas in our culture. And think about the contrast between that experience and the practice of fasting. And you can begin to think about what's happened over the last hundred years or so uh, in terms of our leading up and preparation for Christmas. It actually has gone the complete opposite direction um, from what historically that space meant in the life of the church. And so you can kind of work through that and understand why that's happened. I mean, imagine trying to throw an Advent party, right, at your house sometime in the next week. Hey, do you guys want to come over and we'll not eat? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes, yeah. So, you know, Advent cards, not real hot item. Um, but, but, but you can see contrasted against like, hey, we want to celebrate the season of indulgence and, and eating. I love Christmas because I love to eat and we all get to eat more and more. That's kind of the direction that the preparation for Christmas is taking. So you can see why Advent loses out uh, in that head to head. And I want us to take some time this morning and just look specifically at this practice of Advent, of fasting, Uh, Because I think it can really help us kind of recover something that's been lost in the church and been lost for followers of Jesus that can help us live out and cultivate this hunger in this already but not yet life. So I want to encourage you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at uh, the verses I just read, Matthew 9, 14 through 17, but you're going to want to have that open in front of you. As you're turning there, I just I really believe this is the key passage on fasting uh, for us as followers of Jesus in the New Testament. If we can really kind of get our heads around this and what Jesus is saying here, it will help us not only in the season of Advent, but I think as followers of Jesus, you want to take up the way of Jesus. And so Matthew 9, 14 through 17, I'm not going to reread it. Uh, we just heard it a few minutes ago, but basically what's happened is some followers of John the Baptist they uh, have come to Jesus and they're saying, look, we fast and the devout Pharisees, part of their practice is to fast, but we've observed you, Jesus, and your followers, and we've heard that you guys don't fast. And we just wanna know why not? Why are you not fasting? 
And Jesus' response tells us three very important things uh, about fasting. And so let's look at each one of those. The first thing it tells us is that fasting is connected with mourning. Fasting is connected with mourning. Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, today, people fast for all kinds of reasons, right? It's actually pretty popular in kind of health and fitness to, to fast. I know some of you have tried like this intermittent fasting um, that's really popular right now and can be really effective. And so like you may be familiar with that kind of fasting. There's fasting, maybe you think of people like Gandhi who fasted for like political purposes. Sometimes we associate fasting with um, kind of religious asceticism. So you might think of what happens during uh, Ramadan or again, like Lent. So the denial of self, the purification of the body, kind of uh, beating down, battling back the desires of the flesh, that kind of approach to uh, fasting. And in all those cases, what I would say is whether they're spiritual or not, all those cases, fasting is a means to an end. Fasting is a means to an end. So whether it's health or it's political change or it's purging and purification, it is meant to accomplish something. That's why you do it. What's interesting in the Bible is that fasting in scripture actually is rarely, if ever, done to achieve a particular purpose. It doesn't function that way in the biblical story. Most often what happens is uh, what Scott McKnight uh, describes in his great book called Fasting, what most often it happens is fasting is done in response to what he calls grievous sacred moments. Grievous sacred moments. And what he's talking about there are, are things that have to do with sin or fear in our life or needs or sickness or suffering or death or loss. So all those kinds of events, when they pop up in life, the response to, by God's people in scripture tends to be fasting and prayer, which is why I think it's so important to understand that's what Jesus is getting at here when he says, look, that's, I understand why you're saying fast because that's why you fast. You fast in response to something like these grievous sacred moments. But Jesus says, don't do that now. Now is not the time to do that. And that's why he points to this wedding picture. When the groom, the bridegroom has come, it is not a time to mourning. What he's saying is, this is a time not for mourning, but for celebration. Why? Because Jesus himself is the bridegroom. He identifies himself with this biblical imagery from the Old Testament that saw God as the husband of his people, as the husband of the people of Israel. Isaiah 62, 5 says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea 2, 19 through 20, I will betroth you, Israel, to myself, says the Lord. In other words, God himself was now present with them. So if fasting is an expression of grief that longs and hungers for God and for God to be present and minister, then Jesus says, stop fasting. I'm here. God is with you. So first thing that Jesus makes us aware of is that fasting is connected with this idea of mourning. Second thing is that Jesus says there actually will be a time to fast. Uh, there's going to be a time in the future when fasting will be appropriate. Matthew 9, 15, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Now, what is Jesus talking about 
when he says that. He means that after his death and his resurrection, he will ascend, he will return to heaven where he will reign with his heavenly father until he returns, until his second coming. And so after that happens, after Jesus ascends, he's no longer with them. And that's what he's saying. Then it will be time to fast again. That will be appropriate. So for example, that's why when you look in the book of Acts or you look in the letters of the New Testament, fasting is present. You see this over and over in Acts. They gather together and they pray and they fast. And it's because even though they knew that God had given himself to them through his spirit. So even though Jesus physically is gone, he's given his Holy Spirit and he is with them, but he's not with them in the same way. So Jesus is with them, but not with them in the same way. And that's really important because that means one day Jesus will return and we will experience a kind of intimacy with Jesus that is unlike anything we've ever experienced before, even though we have him, even though we have his Holy Spirit with us now. And so until that day, we long for him, we hunger for him. And Jesus says, that's why it's appropriate to fast. When I'm gone, but will return in the interim in that already not yet, it is appropriate for you to fast. And then the third thing Jesus says is that fasting after the resurrection is different. This is a new kind of fasting. So verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the worst tear is made. Neither is new wineskin put into old, new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins so both are preserved. Again, what is Jesus talking about here? The patch of unshrunk cloth and new wineskins represent the new reality that Jesus has ushered in. The kingdom of God has come. The bridegroom, our savior, he is here. He has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He has come to give us his spirit and he has ushered in this new kingdom way of life with him that we can experience through faith in Christ. That's the gospel. And so the gospel life is the new wine that is poured out into the world and into our lives. And the old wine skin, in other words, the old ways of doing things don't work anymore. They're not appropriate anymore because of this new wine, because of Jesus' victory over sin and death. So we are people then who have experienced that life with Jesus. We've tasted life with God and what we want is more, right? We are hungry for the Lord. We are thirsty for the Lord. We want more of him. John Piper in his great book on fasting, he says this, Christian fasting is a hunger for all the fullness of God aroused by the aroma of Jesus' love and by the taste of God's goodness in the gospel of Christ. In other words, the paradox now is that to fast is actually to feast on Jesus. That's what it means to fast. It means to take Jesus and be satisfied with him. Not even our hunger for actual food, for real food, compares to our hunger for Jesus because we've tasted and we want more. So for followers of Jesus, what that means is fasting is not a self-wrought discipline. It is not an act of willpower that tries to earn things from God or that tries to beat down our bodies into submission. Fasting says, 
Food is good. Our bodies are good, but God is better. That's what fasting in the new kingdom says. It says that it's a physical expression of our spiritual desire to know more of God's presence and power in our midst. We fast not, again, because we want something from God. We fast because we want more of God himself. We fast because we want more of God himself. Which is why Jesus, though he never commands us to fast, he commends it to us and even expects us to do it as his followers. So, that's a little primer on fasting. Um, so here's the thing, just to be totally honest. The truth is, I don't like fasting. Uh, you don't like fasting. I know very few people who are like, yes, we're gonna fast. This is amazing. Few of us do it because we don't like it, we don't enjoy it, or we don't understand it. And so fasting is something that is foreign to us. I mean, I have never been a part of a community that actually fasted together, that was committed to this practice, this way of Jesus, as prevalent as it is throughout the history of God's people and the church and in scripture, that's not been my experience. And I've only fasted myself personally a few handful of times. And so I think it's really interesting that if it's a central practice that's commended to the followers of Jesus, practiced through the history of the church, how is it that in the era of the modern Western church, it's been completely lost. We do not fast. The question is why? Why don't we fast? I think there's a lot of reasons, um, but I wanna highlight two that I think will help us as we come at this in Advent. I think we don't fast because we have this idea that the physical, that the body ultimately doesn't really matter. It's only about the spiritual. It doesn't matter about our bodies. Scott McKnight, again, in his book on fasting, he describes what is at the heart of this as a distortion of our view of God, our creator, and a divided view of ourselves into physical and spiritual. And the core problem is that as Christians, we tend to see the world as physical and spiritual, as secular and sacred. And so what we become are kind of practical dualists in our view of reality. And as a result, we tend to see the body over here and the spirit over here and things of the spirit, spiritual things, good, body, bad. And so we relegate the body to being inconsequential, unimportant, insignificant in our faith, in our relationship with God. But the Bible presents us as being people who are an organic whole. When it comes to who we are, we are soul, spirit, mind, and body. Our bodies are not just cases for our soul that one day we will shed. They are a part of who we are. They, are, they matter. They are how God made us. And so what we do with them matters. And things like fasting are not just physical Things that we do with our body actually affect us and who we are as a whole person, even our spiritual identity. And so fasting then is, it's a whole person response, right? It's engaging not just my mind and my heart and my spirit, but my body in response to who God is and my love for him and my hunger for him. So that's the first thing. We think the physical, the body doesn't matter. I think that's one obstacle we kind of have to work through. And then the second one is this. I think... I think if we're totally honest, we are way more satisfied with the world 
then we are satisfied with the presence of Jesus. I think just way too often that is the reality. The cry of the early church was, come Lord Jesus, over and over and over again. They're the final words of the New Testament. Come Lord Jesus. Luke 18, Jesus says his followers, they are the ones who cry to him. They cry out to him day and night for justice and salvation in the world. And in the West, we have become comfortable. We have become satisfied and focused on the temporary things, the temporary pleasures. We are not a people who day and night cry out to the Lord. We've convinced ourselves that things aren't all that bad. So we live in denial of how broken we are and the world around us actually is. Fleming Rutledge in her great book on Advent writes this. She said, Advent is not for the faint of heart. To grasp the depth of the human predicament, one has to be willing to enter into the very worst of the human experience. Advent forces us to come to terms with the darkness, with the darkness of the world, where despite all the good, the lasting good of God's creation, the good human beings are capable of, even with all that, ultimately, there is no hope for humanity apart from God's intervention. It is impossible apart from the Lord. And so fasting connects with that reality. Fasting is an appropriate physical response to a world that desperately needs Jesus. So starting next week, we want to enter into this season of Advent together. And each week, what we're gonna try to do is we're gonna talk about how this works out in this already but not yet, how we live out and cultivate this hunger for God. And then during the week, we'll have things like scripture readings for you to do at home and on your own. There'll be, uh, we're gonna put together a playlist of kind of songs that kind of reinforce these themes. Um, and then we're gonna have a couple other things that we do together. And I just wanna highlight those really quick, things that we can do together to help us cultivate this hunger for the Lord. And the first, um, it echoes some of the songs we were singing this morning. And it's just a simple prayer that I want us to begin to pray together in Advent. And it's this, God help me to want you more than I want you. See, the worst thing would be for you to walk away from this and think I have to fast because I feel guilty if I don't, right? That's not what this is about. This is about allowing a practice that involves the whole person cultivate a deeper hunger for Jesus. And the truth is we don't have that hunger. Often we don't hunger enough, but God is good and he will give us a deeper hunger. And so that's why we begin with this prayer. We begin with the prayer that says, Lord, I want to hunger for you more than I do, more than I'm willing to admit. I just don't do it as much as I want to. Would you give me a hunger for you? And so that's our starting point. Ask the Lord to give me a desire to want him more than I actually want. To want you, Lord, more than I want you. So begin with that prayer. And then the second thing we wanna do is fast. 
So we're gonna try this as a whole community. Uh, we're, we're gonna put, uh, this week we'll put instructions up on the website, some kind of basic guidelines and, and those kinds of things. So if you've never fasted before, um, we, our goal is to make it really easy uh, to try this. And, and we're gonna start small and simple. Uh, you can expand on this if you want, but we're gonna try one day. One day where we all fast together over the next month, every week on a Wednesday, we're going to fast. Uh, we're gonna take three meals where we do not eat all together. And we're gonna ask the Lord to use that to deepen our awareness of our need for him uh, in the broken world in which we live and to cultivate in us that hunger and that longing that we would look forward to his return, that we would actually be a people who cry out, come Lord Jesus. Now, just a quick note there, if that is not doable for you to actually fast, uh, for medical reasons or dietary reasons, for some reason, if that's not something that you can do, um, then just ask the Lord, is there something similar that you could do? Um, something similar to a fast in your life that would help you kind of in a heart posture, get to that place where you're actually hungering for the Lord Jesus more. It's not a legalistic thing, but it is, I think, important for us if we're capable to actually fast from food. So don't just see this as a, I, I'm gonna not do Netflix for the next month or I'm not gonna drink Starbucks. That's great. Abstaining from things, I think, is a really healthy practice. But fasting in the strictest definition is about food because there's something that happens in our body when we are hungry that God can use to cultivate that hunger for him. So just try it. On Wednesdays, we're gonna do that. And then third, worship. So every Wednesday morning, we're gonna, we're gonna try this. Um, so I know at least myself and the staff will be here eight o'clock every Wednesday morning in the sanctuary. We're gonna take 30 minutes as we begin our daily fast together to worship and to pray. And then you can kind of go off and into your day. And so if you can't make it, that's fine, but if you can, if you can set aside some time and create space, I think it'll be a really powerful place where the Lord meets us uh, together as we enter into this fast uh, during Advent together. So three things, pray, fast, gather for worship. You guys in? You wanna try it? Yes, thank you, Jenny Wood, awesome. We are in. So listen, this is gonna be different. I understand this is gonna be different for us, but I wanna encourage us as a church family, you know, everything in, everything in our culture is going the other way right now. As we ramp up for Christmas, the cultural inertia will be to move us actually away from a hunger for the Lord and to try to satisfy us with all kinds of other things. And I'm not against parties, we're having parties. I'm not against eating, I love to eat. But this practice of fasting, there's something to it and Jesus saw it as a good and a way for us in our souls, our very souls to actually cultivate a deeper hunger for the Lord. So that's our aim. It's about our hearts. It's about a hunger for the Lord and that he would do this in us as a community. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would cultivate within us a deeper hunger for you. Lord, we are so grateful for the gifts. We are grateful for everything you have ever done for us. But Lord, we know it was all so that we could have you. And so Lord, we've tasted, we've tasted, and we know that you are good. And so Lord, we long for more. Give us a hunger for more. Help us to want you more and more and more. And would you use this practice of fasting? And Lord, I pray for those of us who, who don't know where we stand with Jesus, aren't totally convinced, not yet, of who Jesus is. Lord, would you 
use this practice of fasting maybe even now to, to help us in terms of encountering you and coming to understand that you are the one who satisfies our deepest longings. So Lord, would you take this or protect us in this from any kind of legalistic heart? Lord, this is not about trying to please you. This is about our hunger for you and your goodness and your glory, who you are. We want more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.